We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians 4. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 4. Just the disclaimer for our passage, uh, it is about sexual integrity. So if you've got young kids, they're more than welcome to be in here. I think church is a great place to learn about God's design for sex, but that's what we're going to be talking about. Uh, if you're uncomfortable, this is your opportunity to leave as well. But no, I think it'll be great. God's got wonderful message for us from uh, his word. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have designed sexuality. And in this culture where we oftentimes contest your design, we know that in your truth is freedom. And you're very clear in, in your word, in this passage, what your will is for our lives. We thank you, Jesus, that you have died for our sins and there's forgiveness in you, forgiveness in the gospel. Jesus, we thank you that through your death, Lord, the power of sin is broken as well, that you truly did come to set us free. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a lot of confusion about the will of God. We oftentimes wonder, well, what is God's will for my life? Should I buy this car? Should I not buy this car? Should I work at this place? Should I not work at this place? Should I wear a black t-shirt or a blue t-shirt? What exactly is God's will? And God does care about where we work, but he's a lot more concerned with who we are. And that's what we find in 1 Thessalonians. In chapter 4, then in chapter 5, we see God laying out what his will is. In chapter 4, the will of God is that you would live in sexual integrity. Then Paul writes and says the will of God is that we would be thankful in Christ Jesus. So what's the will of God for our lives? To walk in sexual integrity and to be thankful and to be grateful. Haven't we really complicated the will of God? I want you to think about God's will for just a moment. We have a loving father that wants what's best for us. That's his, his will, that, that's his intent. We being evil, we have desires for our kids. And a lot of those desires are good. We don't wanna harm our kids. We don't wanna see destruction for our kids. We have their best interest in mind. How much more so does God have our best interest in mind? As we wrestle through this tonight, please see the will of God. And with the will of God is the best, amazing, loving Father that has a tremendous good plan for us. There's two words tonight that we're going to focus on is abstain and aspire. Abstaining from sexual immorality and aspiring to live a quiet life. Verse one, finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please the Lord. Paul says finally and then goes on for two more chapters, like a great preacher, right? Whenever you hear the words in conclusion from a pastor, he really doesn't mean it. That's like, I'm just warming up, right? In conclusion, here we go. And Paul is leading us into his, his final thoughts in this letter. And notice his language. He's saying, we urge you, we exhort you in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's pleading with the church of, of Thessalonica that they should abound more and more. This is a church that's doing well, that's walking with the Lord in the midst of persecution, 
And God's heart for them is that they would continue to grow, that they would continue to abound. And that's God's heart for us as well. We never reach the ceiling in our relationship with the Lord. There's more to learn about him. Love for the Lord to abound. Love for one another to abound. And then to know how we ought to walk and to please God. It's important as we talk about these things that we understand how we're saved. We're not saved through our works. We're saved through the gift of Christ by believing in what Christ has done for us. His death and resurrection, the Bible tells us we're justified, declared righteous, just as though we, we've never sinned. From that position of righteousness, that position of forgiveness, we respond out of love and desire to please the Lord. Romans chapter 12 puts it this way, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you'd present yourself as a living sacrifice. Because God is merciful, because he's gracious, because he's forgiven us of our sins, we respond with saying, God, I want to please you. I want to walk with you. But we're not trying to earn or deserve salvation. We're not trying to earn or deserve his love for us. God doesn't love you more if you're walking in a manner that is pleasing to him. He, he doesn't love you less when we're struggling with sin. Verse two, for you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's reminding them of things that were taught to them in the short amount of time that Paul had with them. For this is the will of God. Underline that. For, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. God's desire for us is that we would be sanctified, that we would be set apart. So, so what does the word sanctification mean? It means to be set apart for a purpose. I oftentimes think about it this way. In your kitchen, you have utensils that are set apart, aren't they? And hopefully, with your fork, there's certain things that you don't use your forks for because they're set apart for a purpose. Now, this is gross, bear with me, but remember, I used to be a junior high pastor. You would not take your forks and go out and pick up the dog poop, right? If you do, something's wrong with your head. Like that, there's something really wrong with you because that fork is set apart for the purpose of eating. You're not gonna use the fork to clean the toilet, right? Should I go on? I could go on. No, I'm not gonna go on. But, but that fork has been set apart. And when we were bought with the blood of Jesus, we're set apart for him. And this is a process of continuing to grow in holiness and Christ-likeness. Justification happens the moment that we trust Christ for salvation. Sanctification is this continual process where God is molding us into his image that will continue till we go home to be with the Lord. But this is God's will for us, is our sanctification, our continued holiness. We oftentimes think that God's will for our lives is happiness, our comfort. A loving father must want my comfort. He wants us to be comforted, but he doesn't necessarily always want us to be comfortable. He wants us growing in Christ's likeness. I think a lot of times we, we misunderstand God's purpose in, in marriage and family, marriage and parenting. Marriage and, and family is hugely enjoyable and a tremendous gift from the Lord, but one of the purposes, the primary purposes in marriage and parenting is our sanctification. 
if you're not sure, if you're a sinner, get married and have kids. And you'll come to understand, man, I am a sinner. And there is so much work that God needs to do in my life. And, and God uses our families to sanctify us. He uses that to, to push us in a direction to need Christ to continue to grow. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. To abstain is to keep off or to keep away. So God knows that we are going to be tempted in our sinful flesh in, in this world with sexual sin until we go home to be with the Lord. So we want to be wise and we want to abstain from sexual immorality. We want to keep it off and, and keep it at bay and always realize that this is a temptation. I feel in these times that we live in, whenever we talk about sexuality, we have to understand what God's design is. Because sexual immorality is the perversion of God's design, but what is God's design? And if you're looking to discover this, I really encourage you to search the scriptures for yourself and read Genesis chapters one and two, because that's really where God's design begins, where he creates Adam, then he creates Eve, and the Bible tells us that God created them male and female. You wouldn't think that God would have to write down that Adam was male and Eve was female, but remember, God knows everything from beginning to end. And he knew that we would test God on gender. Many people, if they were writing down the scripture, they would just look at Adam and go, well, well he's clearly male, we don't need to write that down. Well, Eve, she's clearly female, we don't need to write that down, but, but God records that in scripture. In his creation, in the animal kingdom, created them male and female. Adam is having to name all of the animals and he notices, wait a second, there's male and female. There's a counterpart here. What about me? I, I'm all alone. And God exposed to him his need to have a companion and God created Eve out of his, his rib. So sexuality does begin with gender. Well, why is this being attacked so much? Because Satan knows that we're created in God's image. If you take away gender, you're trying to take away the image of God. Men being created male is an expression of the image of God. If you try to take that away or erase that, you're erasing something that God has given to you. Ladies, being created female, you're created in God's image. If you try to erase that, you try to change that, you're, you're changing God's design. Satan would love to thwart the image of God in male and female. What's a marriage then? Never thought we'd have to define what a marriage is, but biblical marriage, society can call it whatever they want, the state of Colorado can call it whatever they want, but biblical marriage is a lifelong commitment between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife for life. Ephesians chapter five tells us that Christian marriage is the husband is a display of Christ. The wife is a display of the church. Well, what if we just define marriage any way that we want? All of a sudden, we're messing with the image of God but also the display of Christ in the church that is meant to be seen in a Christian marriage. Make sense? 
So of course Satan doesn't want that to be seen. Of course Satan doesn't want men marrying women that trust and believe in Christ to where Christ is on display and the love of the church is on display. I would imagine that there's something inside of your heart, even if you don't agree with this teaching, where you're saying there has to be something more to this topic of sexuality because what we're doing in the world is not working. It's not working, right? What are the state of relationships? Not good, right? And what a time for us to be able to look to God's word and say, I'm going to allow God to define sexuality, not what culture defines sexuality. So anything outside of God's design is sexual immorality. God designed sex. Somewhere in this whole discussion, we start to get this tainted view of sex. But God designed it. It's a gift between a husband and a wife that is to be enjoyed. In Hebrews, it tells us that the marriage bed is pure and it's undefiled. This attraction that men are to have for women and women are to have for men, that's a good problem to have. It works really well in marriage, right? It's, it's what God designed to be. But it has to be inside of God's parameters. No matter the age, single, married, we will all face temptation in this area and it's important to abstain. It's important to say, no, I wanna walk in God's design first and foremost because I wanna be in the will of God. I wanna be close to my father. I wanna draw near to him. I wanna see what he has for me, the abundant life that, that he has provided. Verse four, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. God says, I want you to know how to be able to possess your body, your your vessel for sanctification and honor. I think it's interesting that God uses the word vessel because there's an image that's there from the Old Testament where there would be vessels that would be used for worship in the tabernacle and in the temple. When the children of Israel compromised in idolatry and sexual sin, they were taken into captivity into Babylon and these vessels were also taken because they're valuable, they're made of of gold. And we find in the book of Daniel, Belshazzar has this big drunken party and he decides he's gonna get the vessels from the temple. Why not? So he's desecrating these vessels that had been set apart for God's purpose, to be in God's presence. You may be familiar with the story. Here's drunk Belshazzar, and there's a hand writing on the wall. Wouldn't that be something on these big walls if all of a sudden you just saw a hand that was writing? Meeny, meeny, tekel you farsin. What does that mean? You've been weighed in the balances and found lacking. God defended his vessels. He defended them. So this is not how my vessels are going to be used. There's one other place in scripture that we see the handwriting of God and that's with the woman caught in adultery. And we see the Pharisees trying to pin her to the wall in judgment and God in his love, Jesus wrote in her defense in the ground. 
Once again, God was standing up for one of his vessels. You're God's vessel. You belong to the Lord. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you and we should know how to live in self-control and possess our vessels for sanctification and honor. So how in the world do we possess our vessels for honor? Here's some thoughts, and in no way is this comprehensive, but these are things that I find helpful. The first is, believe that purity is possible. Believe that purity is possible. Oftentimes in this area of sexuality and sexual sin, we start to think that, man, it's impossible to live according to God's design. It's too lofty, it's too great. There's no way that there could be a life lived without pornography. There's, there's no way whatever your temptation is inside of, of sexual sin that, that I could overcome this. But the Bible teaches the temptation's never gonna go away, but there is the possibility for victory. We tend to set the standard way down here with statements like, well, boys will be boys, and girls will be girls. Well, that's just the the way things are. Well, of course we're gonna struggle in, in this area. And sometimes we even attach God to some of these thoughts. Well, well, God knows my needs. He knows my sexual needs. I was I was created this way, and I don't have the opportunity to fulfill these needs inside of God's design. I'm not, I'm not married, so how could I ever live a pure life? I'm, I'm just destined to sin. We get in a pattern of defeat, and then we don't think that there could be victory. And that's exactly where the enemy would want us to be. Agreed? And so first is to say, because of who Christ is, if God is commanding this, God's commandments are his enablements. God can, can meet me in this. The second is reckon the old man dead. What does that mean? In the Bible, we've got these terms, and it's like, well, what does reckon the old man dead mean? In Romans chapter 6, we have this amazing teaching. I'd encourage you to write it down and, and study it more. The Bible tells us that our old man was crucified with Christ. It's our sinful nature. Was buried with Christ and were risen in newness of life so that we don't have to be slaves to unrighteousness anymore. Then in Romans chapter six, it says, reckon the old man dead. Reckon's actually a mathematical term to say, do the math. I'm dead to sin and I'm alive to Christ. And in this area of sexual temptation, we need to be reminded, no, my old man is not in charge. My sinful nature is not in charge. I'm not destined to continue to walk in sin in this way. The power of sin has been broken. And this is true of any area of sin. This is possessing our vessel for for honor, but there's this decision that God wants us to make to say, no, I'm gonna reckon my old man dead. I'm gonna remind this sinful flesh that you're not in charge. (laughs) You've been crucified with Christ and I'm risen in newness of life. Isn't that a wonderful thing to think about and meditate upon is that the power of sin's been broken in our lives? Before we knew Christ our Savior, the power of sin hasn't been broken. We've been freed from the penalty of sin, but also the power of sin to where we don't have to continue to walk in sin. 
This is applying the cross and the grace of Jesus Christ to our lives today. Trusting Christ for salvation, but also trusting Christ, I'm being tempted in this area of sin. I know that you're with me. I know that you died for me and rose again, and I'm asking for your help. And and that leads to number three that I think is so important is, is spirit over flesh, spirit over flesh. To possess this vessel for honor, we have to have the Spirit of God, relying upon the Spirit of God. It's not by power or by might, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. We're encouraged to walk in the Spirit. To walk in the Spirit is to be in step with the Spirit of God. The fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control. All of these things come from the Spirit of God in our lives. We can't do this on our own. I think we've all experienced this. We can't live in God's design for sexuality in and of our own strength, but through his power. And the Holy Spirit is gonna be so faithful. Holy Spirit's gonna convict our thoughts, our hearts, what we're looking at online, what we're watching on TV, and it's gonna redirect us, redirect us in where God would have us to be. It's time to get offline. It's time to worship. It's time to call a brother in Christ. Ladies, call a sister in Christ. It's time to get in the word. It's time to go for a walk. (laughs) Letting the, the spirit of God lead us. Hey, you're starting to push it in this conversation. Starting to to flirt with this person, the Spirit of the Lord. So listen to the Spirit of God. Don't quench the the Spirit of God, but rely upon God's Spirit. This is hard for us because we want to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We want to say, I can do this in my own power, in my own strength. But that's either going to lead to pride or to defeat. It's another thing to say, Lord, I can't do this. I need the help of your Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's described to us as our comforter and our helper and our teacher. He's ready to come and help us in this way. Number four is take thoughts captive. If we're gonna live in sexual integrity, we have to take our thoughts captive. The language that Paul uses on this is to go on the offensive if there's a thought that's not glorifying to God. And this is the hard part, is thoughts don't stay thoughts. Thoughts become actions, and actions eventually define our character. So if we're deceiving ourselves, if we can be in this pattern of sexual sin in our minds and think that it's not gonna result in actions at some point. Thoughts unchecked eventually become actions. So here's the thought that doesn't glorify the Lord, is how do we take that thought captive? The best way is by meditating upon scripture. Jesus, when he was tempted, he quoted scripture out loud. Man shall not live by bread alone. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And he used short sections of scripture, which I'm so thankful for. Gave us an example that we can follow. He didn't quote all of Psalms 119. have those verses ready in our heart and mind, and God's word is powerful. It's powerful. What's your go-to verse in this area of sexual sin? 
It'll be different for each of us, but, but have one and use it. This may be where you're at this evening is saying, I've started to let my thoughts slip in this area and engage and take those thoughts captive. Number five is plan ahead. Don't place yourself in temptation. Plan ahead. Don't, don't t- place yourself in temptation. With this issue of pornography, what good happens online really late at night? Shut the internet off and go to bed. Get some rest. That's a place of temptation. You're single, you're dating, you really like this person, maybe you're planning on getting, getting married. You spend a lot of time alone, placing yourself in temptation. Okay, I know where this is gonna lead. We, we can't place ourselves in temptation. We gotta be wise in, in regards uh, to this. For all of us that are, are married, it's important to have proper hedges and proper boundaries and to say, I'm not gonna be spending time alone with someone of the opposite sex who's, who's not my spouse. I, I know where that leads. There's been a lot of godly men and godly women who have lived lives of sexual integrity and have shared, I don't spend time with someone of the opposite sex who's not my spouse. I wanna guard myself in this. Billy Graham, amazing, lived a life of sexual integrity and put hedges in his life to make sure that he wasn't traveling alone, wanted to live in in accountability. So, So think ahead, plan ahead, and let's not place ourselves into temptation. We know we're flirting with sexual sin when we start placing ourselves in temptation. And number six is guard against pride. Sometimes I think with sexual sin, what gets us is actually our pride. For some tonight, you're like, you know, this is a great message for so-and-so. I'm gonna text them the link. But I got this figured out. I've got this area of my life all wrapped up and, and I'll never fall into to sexual sin. Well, be careful. Because God says, if you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. If there's a part of our hearts that looks at someone who is in sexual sin with condemnation and we go, how could they? That's a pretty good indicator that there's pride in our hearts and our lives. And we're not aware of our own, own sinfulness. And we could be walking right into that sexual sin. Many strong men and women of God have fallen to sexual sin. David falls to sexual sin. That should be enough right there, right? So we don't ever want to think that we're above sexual sin. The seventh, I think, is one of the hardest, but is one of the most practical, and it's to confess to one another, to confess to one another. James 5 tells us that we're to confess our faults to one another and pray for one another that we would be healed. If we're being tempted to share and ask for prayer, if we've fallen short and sinned in this area, to share with a trusted brother in Christ, a trusted sister in Christ. Married couples, I think that this is something that we should be sharing with each other. There should be that framework 
in your relationship with your spouse to be honest in, in this area. And I know that's kind of controversial. There's, there's some that wouldn't agree with me. But outside of the Lord, our, our highest form of accountability is our spouse. If we do fall into sexual sin, we're gonna hurt God and we're gonna hurt our spouse. And then our, and then our kids. Isn't it much better to go to our spouse prior to following saying, I'm struggling in this area, would you pray for me? I know on the receiving end, if your spouse comes to you and says, I'm struggling or I've committed sexual sin, it's a hard place to be in, but you're now in a place of truth. You know what you're dealing with. Things are in the light and God's the God of light and he does his work when we bring things out to the open. For those of you that are single, you might think, hey, I've got my private world, nobody really knows. I go to church, but yet here I'm engaged in, in sexual sin. Freedom's gonna come as you confess your faults to one another and pray for one another. Satan wants us to keep it hidden. Our flesh wants to keep it hidden, but as we, we confess to one another, then God does a great work of, of freedom. Is there one of those seven that really stands out to you? Most likely, we're not gonna take all seven of those things home with us tonight. But is there one? Is it taking thoughts captive? Is it the spirit over the flesh? Is it to believe that purity is possible in your life? Is it confessing to one another? Lay hold of that one thing that the Holy Spirit is, is speaking to you. Not in passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So we're to live differently than to those who don't know Christ as our savior. Our passion reveals a lot about us. What we're passionate about reveals what our heart is committed to. And God doesn't want us walking the, the same way as the world. Church, can I remind you, if you adopt God's design for sexuality, you're not gonna be walking in the ways of the world. If you share God's message for sexuality, it's probably gonna cost you something in our day and age. But our government doesn't have this right. God has this right. And we're not walking according to the ways of this world. We're walking according to the ways of God. And yes, it's controversial, but it's God's truth. And here God tells us, this isn't gonna be the way the Gentiles do things. They, they don't know God. In verse six, that no one should take advantage of or defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such. And we also forewarned you and testified. To defraud is to take something that doesn't belong to you. Eileen, our, our third daughter, sometime through the winter, she had her bike stolen out of, out of our yard. Someone defrauded her of her, of her bicycle, Right? And when we sin sexually, we're, we're taking something that doesn't belong to us. You're defrauding a brother or sister in Christ. You're, you're defrauding a future believer in Christ. And God says that he's the avenger of such, that he sees what has taken place. And we put ourselves where we're accountable to the Lord. Not a good thing to mess with God's daughter or God's son. If you want to see Pastor Eric go all postal, mess with one of my kids. And it's not going to look very pastoral, right? 
mess with one of the kids in the church and my pastoral ministry is going to look a lot different than you might think, right? Because you're defrauding one of the kids that belongs to the Lord. How much more so does God feel that protective heart that says, hey, that's my son. That's, that's my daughter. Don't, don't defraud them. Don't, don't take something that doesn't belong to you. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but holiness. Holiness, wholeness. That's what God has called us to, not uncleanness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. Maybe you're like, oh man, I, I, just, I just don't like this Pastor Eric guy. Who does he think he is to, to tell me how to live my life? These are not my words. These are God's words. It says right here, it's not Paul. This, it's not me. It's God's. And, and if you reject this, you're rejecting the Lord. You're rejecting what the Holy Spirit has written. As controversial as it may be, God's design for sexuality is clear in Scripture. So when we reject that, we're, we're rejecting him. So that's our first word, is to abstain but I want us to look at our next word, and it's actually to aspire, and I think the two go together. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. This does flow perfectly with this message of sexual integrity because God is teaching us to love one another, and if we're loving one another, we're not sinning against each other sexually. God's gonna teach us to love each other. And indeed, you do so towards all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands as we commanded you. So there's something we were to reject, and that's sexual sin, but there's something that we're to move towards we're to aspire to, and it's actually a quiet and peaceable life. If you want your life to not be quiet and peaceable and for it to be filled with all kinds of confusion and clamor, put sexual sin in your life. Sexual sin will result in the very opposite of a quiet and peaceful life. And that's why I think these two go together. It's God saying, don't sin sexually, but make it a goal to live a quiet and peaceable life. And how do you have a quiet and peaceable life? Minding your own business. That's a great word for us in this season with all of the things that are happening in culture, in the world. You know, don't get too spun up on how someone else is ham handling COVID. That's between them and the Lord. Mind your own business and do it how the Lord wants you to do it, right? We can get so caught up in with how are believers handling all of this stuff and it's like, well, at the end of the day, they're, they're accountable to the Lord and I'm accountable to the Lord and, and maybe I'm paying attention to a lot of stuff that I shouldn't be paying attention to. I'm distracted with those things. I need to mind my own business and then work hard, <laughs> work hard. And as we work hard and we labor with our hands, one, that really helps with sexual sin, doesn't it? If we're working hard to the glory of God, that really helps with dealing with temptation. When David fell into sexual sin, he sent his soldiers to battle. He had Joab lead his soldiers into battle. It was the first time that David did this. 
And he kicked back and he took it easy and he was sleeping in and then he goes out to his patio and sees Bathsheba and gets himself in trouble. Had David been working hard, it may have been a different story. There's a part of our flesh that doesn't like work. It's like, oh man, here, Monday's coming. Here it is the weekend, but, but Monday's coming. But work is a gift from God and the ability to be able to work it leads to this quiet and peaceable life. This is what God has given me to do. I'm gonna set my hands to this work to aspire to live a, a quiet and peaceable life. That you may walk properly to those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. God meets our needs through hard work. As we work hard unto his glory, then he meets our needs so that we're not in a place of physical lack and we're able to be a testimony to those who don't know Christ as their savior. Instead of them seeing us engaged in sexual sin, they see us working hard to the glory of God. Stay with me for a couple more moments. If you find yourself in sexual sin this evening, thanks for hanging in there. Thanks for listening to the message. And hear the voice of the Holy Spirit that God does forgive you. He does forgive you. That Jesus died on the cross for our sins and he rose again. And, and our sexual sin brings us to the cross where the blood of Jesus covers and forgives us of our, of our sexual sin. But God loves you enough to where he doesn't want you to stay there. He doesn't want you to stay in pornography. He doesn't want you to stay in adultery. If you're believers and you're living with your boyfriend and girlfriend and you've been telling everybody, well, well, we're just roommates, I don't believe that. I never believe that. I'm sitting down with couples and they're like, you know, for financial reasons, we're, we're living together and yeah, yeah, we don't have sex together, but it's just the two of us at the apartment. You lie. <laughs> you lie. Don't, don't deceive yourselves. Don't deceive God. Everybody knows better right? And God's got something else for you, something better, marriage. Move out for six weeks, pursue premarital counseling, get married. It's not about the ceremony. Why, why are you putting off for this $30,000 ceremony? You can come get married here at the church for free. We've done a lot of office weddings. They don't cost anything. And the Holy Spirit's there and joining you together as, as husband and wife. But, but you can't stay in that place. As a believer, you, you can't stay. God is going to continue to make you uncomfortable. If it's in your heart and in your mind, allow the Lord to cleanse your heart and, and cleanse your mind. Don't believe the lie of the enemy that there isn't a path forward of, of victory. Make a decision tonight. The church exists beyond Saturday night and Sunday morning. Do you guys know that? We've got an awesome team of pastors that's here Tuesday through Friday. An interesting thing that's been happening is the body has been actually coming to the pastoral staff less ever since COVID happened. There's less calls in for counseling. There's less, hey, my marriage is hurting. I'm, I'm stuck in, in pornography. Our pastoral team's here and ready to give loving biblical counsel 
please call. Please call the church office. Email the, the church office. It's unfair to bring up a topic like this and say, hey, Lord bless you. Just go, go figure it out on, on your own. It is reach out. Reach out and let our brothers, sister in Christ help. If you don't feel comfortable calling the, the church office, and by the way, we have men ready to minister to women. <laughs> men, men ready to minister to men. I could get that all messed up. And ladies that are ready to, to minister to ladies. So, so ladies, there's a team of women that's ready to, to counsel you and come alongside of you. Some of you have those relationships in place with brothers and sisters in Christ. Men, you need to be sharing with men, women sharing with women, but allow the Lord to, to do that victory in your, in your heart and in your life. Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he's here to forgive, but also to be able to, to set us free. This is the will of God, is your sanctification, to abstain from sexual immorality. How does that work out practically? Go to work hard. Go to work Monday morning and say, Lord, I thank you for work. It's keeping me out of sexual sin. I got some yard work to do. Lord, thank you for this yard work. I'm gonna aspire to live a quiet and peaceable life that comes through an honest day's hard work. Would you stand with me and let's pray together. Jesus, we do thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, that you went and died on the cross and rose again for all of our sin. Lord, would you wash us clean and wash us afresh? We want to be honest with you and honest with others. And God, we can't do this a, apart from you. So we ask for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you help us? But we choose to walk in your ways. Lord, for those that are, by your grace, doing well in this area, would you strengthen them? Would you bless them? Would you encourage them? So God, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.